the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Friday, August 4th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, and I've got uh, Bill to my north. I've got David Dahl, my producer, to my west. And for all the other cardinal points in the audience, you can give us a call at 602 A slightly different monologue today. It's back to school time. And today's show, unless you call in with other issues, which I welcome, is dedicated to education. I remember once when I was new to Washington, D.C., I asked an education expert at a think tank why she was so fixated on education issues, given how broad and smart and competent in so many other areas I thought she was. And she said, because it's everything. I never forgot that. And she's right. Education is everything. Certainly the left thinks and knows that. And seems to me on our side, we're just beginning to tie our shoes on the issue. I was thinking of that today as my thoughts were... Hard to focus given, given so many stressors on our polity right now, so many modes of thinking and events that exacerbate the worst parts of our national tensions. I think this all started a long time ago when the self was deemed more important than the community. Individual autonomy and feelings became more important than the good of the community and sensations became more important than facts. Images became more believable and saleable than reality. When rules of life were replaced with concepts of self-actualization. And so we become pressure tested and exasperated. We tell ourselves or we accept lies, lies we are told. And we wake up to find out we hardly can recognize where we are, or how we got here as a country. How many of you have that feeling or thought? How is this the America I used to know? Professor Mark Bauerlein, emeritus from Emory University, writes... It started with the corruption of the humanities, the study of art and literature, philosophy and history. When the humanities lost their sense of beauty and replaced it with something like sheer politics, he writes, quote, perhaps that outcome was inevitable once the humanities lost the beauty component, when politics became the point. Progressive politics, of course. Much of the, curric- much of the curriculum then lost its sheen. It was old, first of all. And too many old-time authors and artists had old-fashioned ideas and professors haven't found enough woke creators to take their place. They can't get around the political incorrectness of Milton and Pope and Wagner, etc., or at all. And so they must shift away from the actual content of their fields to the cognitive benefits of humanistic study, he wrote. So instead of studying a Shakespeare or an Aristotle, we study the works of and take seriously the works of one Professor Ibram Kendi, who lectures us from a multi-million dollar endowed perch at Boston University that uh, lectures us that our entire society is racist and that one cannot be an anti-racist unless one is an anti-capitalist. We've already been lectured for years that to be white is to be racist. That, of course, is why we no longer study and should not study dead white males or have statues of them. 
Kennedy gets away with something further and worse. He speaks on behalf of literal racial discrimination. He writes in his most famous of books, the only remedy for past discrimination is current discrimination. And the only remedy for current discrimination is future discrimination. If you think that sounds like George Wallace, Alabama, 1963, it's because it does. All of this is nurtured by a grand lie perpetuated by the academy that America itself is endemically and inherently racist. And we buy into, are first forced to buy into, and then slowly conditioned to self-initiate our buying into narratives and concepts that 100 years ago would have been deemed simply crazy. Tom Wolfe, the novelist, captures this in his notion of mau-mauing the flack catchers. He identifies but one small but telling example of this in his story of Leonard Bernstein hosting a fundraiser for the Black Panthers in his apartment. And when one panther says we must seize your capital, your money, Bernstein replies, I dig it. The progressive black writer James Baldwin was ahead of his time in correcting for some of this when he caught himself caught up in this to his detriment. His essay, Why I Stopped Hating Shakespeare, sums it up. Baldwin wrote how he mistakenly and for years, quote, condemned Shakespeare as one of the authors and architects of oppression. And he continued writing, quote, I was resenting, of course, the assault on my simplicity, and in another way I was a victim of that loveless education which causes so many schoolboys to detest Shakespeare. But I feared him, too, feared him because in his hands the English language became the mightiest of instruments. No one would ever write that way again. No one would ever be able to match, much less surpass him. While I was young and missed the point entirely, was unable to go behind the words and, as it were, the diction to what the poet was saying, close quote. You see, Baldwin caught himself as caught up in the artificial or the subtext, not what Shakespeare was actually writing. Skin tone, for example, is artificial. It has no bearing on quality or anything else. And we've done a great disservice to our culture by teaching and saying otherwise, just as we've done a great disservice to our culture by engaging in group libel in one direction or another, or saying we just won't read authors whose skin is a certain color. To wit, when in the past communities said black equaled bad, that was group libel. Libel, of course, meaning false. And if that was true, that such a statement was a libel, it is equally true that all such group libel was and is equally false. Saying white equals bad today is, in other words, no better than saying black equaled bad time passing. Libel is part of the category of defamation, of course, and defamation is to speak or write evil or maliciously of someone. From the Latin defamare, which means to spread by ill report or make a scandal of. We can do this and do engage in this with people as well as professions, with countries as well as cultures. We can do it with religions. When Diane Feinstein and others spoke of Amy Coney Barrett's religion, calling it dogma or invoking her religious practices as some sort of throwback to a dystopian handmaid's tale, it was little different than the group libel of anti-Semitism that the likes of people with the name like Feinstein or Liebson, for that matter, had to fight against for centuries. There's no natural place to insert this anecdote, but in college I remember sitting next to the wife of the dean of faculty, herself a scholar. Someone at the table asked her what she was currently reading, and she responded saying, 
well, I won't read anything by men. I recall not saying, but thinking, would that include the publisher's or editor's letter to her who accepted her manuscript that she was working on, accepting it for publication? Back to education, if I may. What James Baldwin was is that by censoring from himself writers or artists or thinkers simply based on what he was told to censor for himself because of the writers, artists, or thinkers group, what would be in time known as a group of not once choosing race or in my dinner college dinner conversation gender, by censoring for himself on those kinds of bases was to limit himself, to engender a prejudice, a prejudging that limited himself. And closed thy eye or ear to true beauty. True beauty. That too has become controversial because truth has become controversial. There isn't any true beauty, we are told by the relativists that have taken over too much of our culture because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Truth is simply my truth. Yet we claim to know the opposite of all this, don't we? We know it within an absolute certainty. That is to say, falsity, as in false consciousness, we attribute it to everyone, or the left does. Think of the word implicit bias. Implicit bias is a good and occurrent substitute for it. After all, supposedly we all suffer from it, right? But how do we know false if we don't know true? How do we know bias if we don't know non-bias? We claim goodness and beauty is in the eye of the beholder, subjective, not objectively noble, but we are told we must know We must believe what evil is. We are asked to know what racism is. We are asked to know that racism is evil. And once we know that, we are asked, well, not asked but cowed into knowing that America or white or male is evil. Why else burn the mother you-know-what down? Why else be told or lectured or screamed at that cops are racist or that America is? Clearly, the left has its eyes, ideas, and concepts on and about what we should all accept as not just wisdom but objective truth, so much so that if you don't buy into it, you will be forced to confess it, and if you refuse to confess it, you will be targeted, sometimes physically and violently, sometimes by being marginalized or censored or fired or shamed. I keep trying to get back to education. Here it is. In his lecture on the point of liberal education, the great political philosopher, teacher of Alan Bloom and Harry Jaffa, among others, Leo Strauss, wrote, quote, liberal education which consists in the constant intercourse with the greatest minds, is a training in the highest form of modesty, not to say of humility. It is at the same time a training in boldness. It demands from us the complete break with the noise, the rush, the thoughtlessness, the cheapness of the vanity fair of the intellectuals as well as of their enemies. It demands from us the boldness implied in the resolve to regard the accepted views as mere opinions or to regard the average opinion as extreme opinions, which are at least as likely to be wrong as the most strange or the least popular opinions. Liberal education, he concludes, is liberation from vulgarity. The Greeks, ha- the Greeks had a beautiful word for vulgarity. They called it aparokalia, lack of experience in things beautiful. Liberal education supplies us with experience in things beautiful. He said, you hear that word vulgar, and you or I... Think of something Supreme Court Justice John Marshall Harlan once said. He wrote, one man's vulgarity is another man's lyric. Relativism, you see, it stalks not just the humanities and the streets, but the highest architectures of our law. But once you absorb this kind of thinking that nothing is better than anything else, that there is no true beauty, no ability to distinguish between lyrics and vulgarity, be careful 
When some of us don't buy into what it is you are trying to sell. Let me try to postulate that we can have truth and agree on things good and evil. We may have attenuated the meaning of words like racist and fascist by syntactical saturation, overuse, and politicalized use, but there's still something good about the notion that the abusers of those words, as much as the unwitting victims of them know those words, racist, fascist, bigot, know them to be negative or at least pejorative. There's something still good about that. So, restore the teaching and understanding of true beauty— it seems to me, and you can be liberated from vulgarity. Restore the commitment to truth and fact, it seems to me, and you can be liberated from falsity and prejudice. But there are those who don't want that. Their task is to fuddle. We must ask if we want to live in such a confusion. To me, it's fairly simple. We can make choices about these things and what worlds and environments we want to live in and raise our children in. But to choose between truth and falsehood is where it must begin. For to choose poorly is to choose to live in vulgarity rather than beauty. You can take something beautiful and make it vulgar. But to do so, you have to start by teaching, misteaching, that there is no difference or no way to tell the difference between natural distinctions, be they in truth or falsity, be they in nature, be they in sex and gender, be they in human or animal, or be they in human or God. Now is the time for choosing, while we still can tell those differences. And that, to me, Charlie Brown, is what education is all about. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. With bank failures and stock market volatility and speculation of a recession and obvious inflation that we deal with every day, where do you invest? Why refi? They have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no secu- there are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, but it does give you a high fixed interest rate. That's right, up to 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. On that Resist the Drift uh, program, by the way, young David and audience, uh, it's taking place, you just heard an ad for it, August 25th and 26th. Uh, We're giving away some exclusive VIP tickets for that conference. You and your spouse could be one of 10 lucky couples who get to attend the conference on the house, free. And five couples will be invited to attend our pre-conference VIP meet and greet, hosted by me, yours truly. You and your spouse could have the special opportunity to meet the speakers, Greg and Aaron Smalley, including an intimate Q&A and, of course, snack on some great appetizers. In addition to all this, the VIP holder gets reserved seating at the conference and a workbook to notate in during the weekend's four sessions of teaching. For a chance to win the tickets and meet Greg and Aaron Smalley, go to 960thepatriot.com and click on the event banner. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello, Seth, my Aristotelian friend. How are you? Someone who makes me a better person. That's who you are. That's an Aristotelian friend. That's right. Me too. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Seth, thank you so much for the, for your very important monologue and your experience with the Dean's Wife. Yeah, don't you love it? Re- reminded me of uh, 
a line from the movie The Never-Ending Story. Okay. Uh, in that movie, toward the end of the movie, the nothing is about to destroy uh, the entire land. Okay. And Sebastian, who is trying to save the land, confronts the nothing and says to him, why do you want to destroy all of the books? And the nothing says, because people who don't read are easier to control. Oh, I like that. I like and that. I, it reminded me that a few years ago I was reading H.G. Uh, Wells and Mary Shelley and some, some authors from years ago, and Seth, the words that they used in the books that they wrote back then... I was having to look them up in a dictionary. Yeah. I was like, wow, this, these people were educated way beyond anything I could. You know, and I'm, I'm modern. I'm supposed to be way smarter than them. But they were using these long words, and it occurred to me that the problem with our education, and, I, and you hit on this and touched <laughs> on this. That's why I think it was so, your monologue was so important. Excuse me. Yes. Because... What has happened is that the education has been hijacked so that the purpose is no longer to uh, educate and mature and, uh, and bring uh, about a better uh, understanding of, uh, uh, of what is vulgar and what is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has been to kind of dumb down everything so that you end up with an immature population, yeah. a childish mo- yeah. population. Yeah. I mean, how in the world could the wife of a dean say, I won't read a book written by a man yeah. and not be just scorned out of existence? Right. That is such a childish right. thing to say. Right. That's, what, are you, what are you in grade school? Right. Come I can't on. read men. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, so we oh my uh, so we create what I call, or not Ike. I think I got it from Heather Hang. Uh, the notion of of children in adult bodies. That's what we're bre- right. breeding. That's what we're brewing. Yeah, yeah, that is a great quote from her. So I don't know if uh, David uh, passed along my comment to you a few days ago or whenever it was. You have got such terrific monologues. Oh, thanks. Are you familiar with Charles Osgood? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm sure Sure, you are. sure, sure. Okay. Is he still alive? I don't know. Okay. But I have one of his books. The title is Nothing Could Be Finer Than a Crisis That Is Minor in the Morning. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It is a compilation of his essays or his uh dialogues on the radio. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I'm thinking to myself, Seth, I will volunteer oh, <laughs> to do me. your monologues no, 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 so they no, can be published because oh, they are sweet. incredibly important no. and valuable. You're very kind. You're very kind, Rick. Really I want to I want to go back to something you said um at the top of of your call. Okay. It was something about um subjecting our kids to uh, misinformation 
Yes. Yes. It it reminded me of uh, a wonderful line in The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. And I love the title of that book, Abolition of Man. I don't think we think on that strongly enough. But he has a line in there, by starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier prey to the propagandist when he comes. Right. For famished nature will be avenged, and a hard heart is no protection against a soft head. They want us dumb. Because then great. they want us dumb because then you can fill it with anything. Great. Yeah. Great. Have a great show. Bless you, sir. Thank you. Thank you too. You. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems, enforcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter, from draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to the Biden presidency. Midas Gold Group believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings, or IRA, to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you already trust the veterans at Midas Gold Group because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call Midas Gold Group at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. This is, um, speaking of what Rick was calling in about a little bit, children and adult bodies. Um, there's a story out of New York. I don't know if you're seeing it. Have you have you been following this uh, at all, young David? The basically riot in Manhattan over a um, giveaway of PlayStation 5. Have you have you been tracking? Have you seen it? Is it young David and old Bill? Can we do that? You won't take offense at that, old Bill? You're good with that? You're graying at the temples anyway? Okay. Young David and old Bill, YDOB. Um, There's a full-on riot. That's how the New York Post headlines it. breaks out during Twitch influencer Kai Sinat's PS5 giveaway in New York City's Union Square. Just reading that headline in a way, (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking 20 years ago, would any of that even make sense? Full-on riot breaks out during Twitch influencer Kai Sinat's PS5 giveaway. Would anyone know what PS5 is PlayStation 5? Kai Sinat, I hope I'm saying his name right, is some kind of an influencer. But they're doing a a giveaway in New York at one of the stores, and a melee broke out. A social media influencer's giveaway in Union Square Park Friday quickly descended into chaos with the young attendees throwing bottles, jumping on vehicles, and screaming F the PD as NYPD cops were assaulted and some event-goers were nearly trampled. Twitch gamer Kai Sinat has over 20 million followers on the gaming platform. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of him. I've not. It might be a commentary on me. I don't know. But I'm looking at the pictures of these rioters. They're not 15-year-olds. They're not 18-year-olds. If I, old Bill, said that there was a riot over a giveaway of PlayStation, who do you think PlayStation is for? Well, I would have too. But I did a little quick research. Do you know what the average age of video game players, like 
PlayStation is, the average age is 35. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the average age is 35 and uh, obviously older. 72% of the video game playing population is 18 years or above. Um, Children in adult bodies we were talking about earlier, weren't we? Children in adult bodies. On the one hand, our system of education and our culture is forcing children to grow up too fast in certain respects. It's yanking them out of the Garden of Eden of childhood, the innocence of the Garden of Eden of childhood, by exposing them to too many adult themes, which doesn't allow for the natural maturation process, which leads to arrested development so that you end up with children in adult bodies. We're infantilizing adults, and we're too quickly exposing children to adult themes, and it leads to the chaos that we have now. Chaos, literal chaos. Gamers, 25, 30-year-olds going on riots in New York over an influencer giving away a free PlayStation. Gotham. Gotham. Well, I was uh, mentioning old Bill so much, he uh, brought himself into the studio, which I am glad to see he did. Hello, old Bill. Glad to have you with us and young David. Uh, You were telling me about something on the break I was unfamiliar with. I don't know if this is something you learned this week, but it's something I learned from you this week. It's a cultural phenomenon of some kind. Well, hello, Seth. Let's talk about time blindness. Time blindness. Okay, what is time blindness? Well, it's apparently the latest excuse for individuals uh, to... Instead of fix what is wrong with them, uh, demand that society adjust to their problems. Time blindness is, let's say, you know, oh, I, I just show up late for work all the time, but that, that's because that's I suffer your problem. from— Yeah, it, it should be my problem, but no, I suffer from time blindness, and my employer needs to recognize this. And Oh, this is uh, a version of time—this time, is the my truth of time. Yes, very much. Your 9 o'clock doesn't necessarily mean my 9 o'clock, or it shouldn't matter. It's what they're saying. Why are you so rigorous about 9 o'clock? What's the big deal about 9 o'clock? Well, the call was scheduled for then. Okay, well, I'll get there when I can. That's time blindness? That is a good summation of time blindness. And that's what we're dealing with now. It wouldn't work in radio. No. Very well. We need to watch the clock. Yeah. All right. Good. Watching the clock. David, young David, what did you learn this week? I don't know. You you, you learned. <laughs> I learned plenty of things. You learned, learned that champing at the bit is the pronunciation. Yes, it's champing at the it's bit. Not it's chomping. not chomping. It's champing. Um, yeah. I also learned, uh, and this is completely unrelated, I also learned that if you have a longer driver in the game of golf, apparently your ball will go farther. So I don't know why they don't make drivers all like eight feet long. Oh, that's interesting. I, Archimedes I somebody, of golf. Now, I Ar- saw somebody did this as a joke. They made like a 24-foot driver, and the ball went flying. Who's our comedian with yards. the seven words? George, this is like the George Carlin notion. If after every tragic plane accident, they're looking for the survivable black box, why don't they make the plane out of the black box? <laughs> is that George Carlin? Or is it know. the other guy? I don't know, but that made me chuckle. It's, yeah. it's George Carlin or the other guy. All right. Um... I had one more thing. Pet peeve. Pet peeve. Can I can I express a pet peeve? Factoid does not a, mean a wild peeve. Sure, a wild it doesn't peeve. have to be a pet. <laughs> it could be a wild peeve. <laughs> That's good. Um, 
<laughs> a feral peeve. <laughs> a feral peeve. No, that's the best, yeah. <laughs> what did he say? Better feral yet. peeve? We'll do a feral peeve. A factoid is not a little fact. What, what is it? It's a false fact. It's an untruth. Oh. It's something not, in fact, true. Not in point of fact true. All right. Shall we go to Bob in Phoenix? Hi, Bob. Our graver business frowns on this levity. How are you, sir? Uh, good. Hi. I'm going to talk about, I was going to talk about the Democratic Party and race. Good. Let's do it. Okay. Well, I uh, just wanted just a little bit of history. I know you know about it. Basically, um, uh, you know, Grant took care of the blacks very well, uh, had to send the troops down to Louisiana and Mississippi a couple of times when the blacks had the had the legislature, they'd be in the office, they'd be in the building, and, and the, the, the whites and, and w- w- would shoot him and set the building on fire. And twice, at least twice, Grant had to send the people. And Sherman and Sherman helped them also. He gave them land when the, when the blacks were following him across Atlanta. He said, I can't, these, these people are, are wasting, are, are holding me up, so I'll let you have the land and you can stay there. But here's the guy I want to get to, FDR, because the Democrats revere SDR. And here's my question to you. How did he get elected all those times in the, the 36, whatever it was, 40, 40, because he had the South? And how did he get the South? Because he had the Southern Democratic Party. Yeah, Southern Segregationist Democratic Party got him elected. That's right. And and, and he was he was continuing Jim Crow and the Ku Klux Klan and everything else. But you know the Democrats don't tell those stories. What do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, take a look at uh, the 1964 Civil Rights Act. This is the biggest piece of civil rights legislation that had been passed in the last century. Well, any time since uh, the end of the Civil, well, any time since the Fourteenth Amendment, quite frankly. And if you look at who supported it and who opposed it. Uh, It was the majority of Republicans who voted for it and the majority of Democrats who didn't in the House and Senate. This is uh, this is not uh, a news story, but it is an untold story. You're quite right, Bob, to bring it up. If you were an African-American in this country between the years of, I don't know, 1860 to 1960 for about 100 years, and you were looking for a political party to vindicate your civil rights, you would run away from the Democratic Party. You would run to the Republican Party. The Republican Party was the party of vindicating civil rights for at least 100 years in this country and even before. Uh, this is um, this is a piece of history students don't know. It's a piece of history most adults have forgotten. And I think, honest to gosh, uh, the president of the United States, when he says that the Republican Party is the party – of um, George Wallace is the party of Bull Connor and the party of Jefferson Davis. That is a deliberate misstatement of history used for political purposes to racialize this country and turn history on its head. The Republican Party should stand proud on this issue. It should stand for civil rights, stand for the Declaration of Independence. Its first party platform incorporated the Declaration of Independence and stood against slavery as much as it stood against bigamy and stood up for family values. And I don't know why we're shy on this point. We shouldn't be. We should be proud and loud on it. Okay. What say well, you? Thank you very much. Okay. All, All right. right. We're in fierce agreement. I like that. That's good. We are in fierce agreement. All right. What else we got to talk about this week? Uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about... Oh, we had an interesting caller. What was her name, David? What was her first name? Kathy. Kathy called in to say that she wanted to thank us for mentioning David Galerter's book, 
uh, Drawing Life. We had cause to bring it up yesterday. Sounds like she bought it. Yeah, she bought the book Drawing Life by David Galanter yesterday. I was mentioning it might be one of the best books of the second half of the 20th century. You could probably read it in one night. It's not long. Galanter is probably one of the greatest living intellects of our time. Professor at Yale. Bill, we've had him on. It's been a while. We've had him on regularly. We've had his son on a bunch. Uh, Professor at Yale who was a victim of the Unabomber. He would not say a victim. He would say a survivor, a survivor of the Unabomber, and uh, took his eye and his hand and a lot of other things, but not his brain, not his brain. And uh, it's his experience with the bombing and his survival of it and a comment on culture and a comment on crime. And it was only about a month or so ago the Unabomber actually did die. And I thought about calling David Galerter to have him on to talk about it, but you know what? He doesn't like talking about it. And I get it. I get it. He called him Hut Man, not the Unabomber, Hut Man, because he lived in a hut. And he thinks we make too much of um, too much of a we give too much fame to these terrorists, too much fame to them. They kind of grow a larger than life personality. And it's an unfortunate thing and commentary on our society when you think about the fact that more people will forever know who the Unabomber is than David Galerter, when more people should know the works of David Galerter. We do that weirdly here. Good? Yes? Anything more? We're all set? All set. Okay. Arumph. Arumph. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Young David, what is our political pin today? It says... And this is the latest and greatest in the David Dahl political. Oh, you got you just week. recently got it. it came in the okay. post today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It was. It, it says, came in the post. Did you really post. say that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. It says we can't stand Pat. Elect Noland governor. Do you know who this is? I'm going to be surprised if you do. No, I don't think I do. I win. Okay. What is it? Senate Majority Leader William Nolan, who also ran for California governor in 1958 and lost to one Pat Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 58? Yes, that would have been correct. And that's when, so Pat Brown ran again against Nixon in 62. 62. You Brown won't have Nixon again. to kick around anymore. And then Reagan took him out, Reagan took him kept out him from a third votes. term. Yeah. Okay. William Noland. Yeah, William Noland. Thank you for that. He was a, he was a kind of in the Goldwater tradition. He supported Goldwater in 64. Mm-hmm. He had presidential ambitions, and yeah. they stopped with this election. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, very nice. Headbutted with Nixon quite a bit. I bet, I bet. Thank you for that. If you have access to the Wall Street Journal, read the second half of Peggy Noonan's column today, not the first, the second. She says something is happening in the Hunter Biden story. Some big shift is occurring in the past month or so. It has broken through in a new way. The story is becoming more real, more substantial, especially, I suspect, to people in the middle. In the old understanding of the Hunter story, a druggy sex addict recorded his adventures on a mislaid laptop. An embarrassment, but every family has. When the emerging Hunter story is different in nature, it is. The guy was actually good at something, being a serious influence peddler and wiring things so he never got caught. Some on the right have always thought this. I think it's being picked up and watched now by less politically aligned and engaged people. The story has taken on 
a different level of sleaze. It's starting to look not like family loyalty, but enabling, and not only enabling, but doing so in search of profit. One interesting side note here. I don't. I read it. Someone made this point the other day. I don't think it was Peggy. It might have been, but someone did. You know, we keep talking about the the story of Hunter and Joe Biden as the story of a love for a father and his son, and Hunter Biden is just a troubled young man. You know, he's fifty three. He's at what point? Talk about infantilizing. Talk about children in adult bodies. He's fifty three. Okay. We've got uh, a lot more coming up, a lot of great stuff. Eric Twist is coming up. It's been a while since he's been on. You're, gone on, you're not going to want to miss him. It's a mind alive. We're going to talk serious education issues and fun. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.